Hey, I'm Will. This is Benj. We're both church planners trying to work out how to form churches in this post-pandemic world. I lead a church that's trying to grow big. And I lead a church that's trying to grow small. But we share an interest in the beautiful and diverse future of the church in Australia. What will it look like? How will it adapt and innovate and thrive? If you're asking these questions too, then join us as we host a range of conversations with diverse thinkers and practitioners around what comes next. Welcome to the Forming Church Podcast, brought to you by Gen 1K and our vision to see a thousand healthy churches in a generation. You might already be having these conversations within your tribe, but we want to form a community that brings divergent thoughts together. My name's Jamie. I was a church planter and now I'm helping others to plant churches as the Gen 1K mission team leader. Instead of this increasing polarization, we want to learn how to explore different perspectives with a commitment to learning from each other. So at the end of every episode, I've gathered some friends for a roundtable conversation to explore how these ideas might play out in your context. Follow us on Instagram and join our Forming Church podcast Facebook group to add your voice to the conversation. Welcome back to the Forming Church podcast, friends. Hey, Benj, one of the things I have loved about creating Forming Church together is that we are trying to create a conversation that goes beyond one tribe's way of thinking or one approach. And so I'm just finding that as we go through interviewing different people, it's so good to hear uh, a range of different perspectives. Yes, absolutely. And that's that's part of what we want to do here is bring together a different range of of thinking and thought leaders and practitioners from uh, all different spectrums of church. I think there's just so much we can learn from different streams and ways of doing things. And so today we interview uh, Joel Cave, who is the lead pastor of a church called Glow Church on the Gold Coast of Australia. They also have a campus in Sydney and in Melbourne, which launched earlier this year. It is a massive church, 5,000-ish people, grew very quickly. They're only seven or eight years old. Uh, the church is not the not Joel. Uh, <laughs> That'd be impressive. It would be impressive. Seven-year-old yes. church planner, <laughs> five thousand people church. Um, but Joel, Joel was really generous in sharing with us his story, the the highs and lows, the kind of uh, the moments of rapid growth, as well as some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that maybe doesn't always get included in the micro version of mm. the story. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like one of the things that came through in this conversation uh, for us was just reflecting on even through different approaches, what can we learn from each person? And Joel talked about some of the kind of common principles. I loved it. He talked about things that whether you're in the 1950s or the 2050s, there are some key things that are relevant to anybody. So look out for those. I hope you get something out of this chat with Joel. Joel, it's really great to meet you. This is my first time meeting you. So I would love to just kick off our conversation by hearing what does an average week in the life of Joel look like? That's a good question. <laughs> average week pre-COVID or post-COVID? That's, uh, it's that's a, a challenge. It's moment. a tricky what question is, to answer right <laughs> now, isn't it? Yeah, I think if I keep the big ideas, uh, it probably helps. Typically speaking, um, I use the front end of my week uh, or Monday I have as a day off, which is nice and uh, a rest, but then Tuesday and Wednesday is primarily meeting days, uh, and I pretty much don't stop from from the start of a Tuesday till the end of a Wednesday, just go for it. And then Thursdays and Fridays is built around message preparation and I guess focusing more on the bigger picture projects we've got on, a bit of travel usually, and then uh, and Saturday's all about my family, my kids. Sunday's church, that can be quite a big day. 
And that's kind of a pretty normal week if there was a, ever a normal week. Uh, and then I try and keep within that, if I'm traveling, I'll try and use those, still those same timeframes for, for meetings and what have you, just through Zoom. That's pretty much my life. And um, yeah. Very sounds good. Like, sounds like you, you got a pretty, sounds like you got a pretty good rhythm. Nice and predictable. The variation happens within kind of a set pattern. Yeah, I am a very routine person. So, uh, you know, within that, I even have more routines. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like go to the gym first thing in the morning every day and uh, eat at the same time every day. I kind of can't help. I like the routines. It seems to work for my life a lot better. So, yeah, oh, that's good. Try, to, try and create as much consistency in the inconsistent life that I feel like I lead, which you never know what's coming the next day. Yes, yes. Um, I would I would love for you just to share some of um, your story and your journey um, to planting Glow. Uh, probably, you know, a lot of our listeners are probably going to be church planters or thinking about church planting or some sort of uh, missional en- endeavor in their neighborhood. And uh, I think it'd just be really great to hear some of some of your story. Okay, um, I, I try not to get too detailed, but it's enough to give us a bit of a snapshot. I'm probably what would be best described as an accidental church planter. I, I never saw myself pastoring a church or um, planting a church, especially. Uh, but if I look back in my, uh, you know, in retrospect of my life, it probably actually makes sense to be leading a church uh, all these years later. Uh, I grew up in a church in Sydney. Um, I, was, I was one of these. Uh, I haven't got a, like a glamorous story. I wasn't a drug addict. I, I didn't. I, I was literally like. From the first week I was alive, my mum and dad had me under their chair at church, sleeping, and uh, at the church in Sydney that um, was actually the first um, ACC church in Australia. So it was the original one that was started back in 1920, and my uncle's a pastor there. So I grew up there, and I always just loved being in church, um, you know, in terms of like I was always on the worship team, or was a youth pastor, a youth leader. Uh, at the same time, I still loved sport, so it was always that tension between like, being in church on Sunday and doing representative sport on the weekends is always a tension that I had. I really like my life wasn't one of, you know, like I said, it didn't dramatically go off the rails anywhere. If anything, I was always pretty planted in God's house. And as time went on, uh, we, uh, my, my education, um, I ended up university and did a double degree and I did a degree in education and economics. So I was a high school teacher for a number of years, also worked in HR and across that time, um, we decided that we would move to the Gold Coast. I was headhunted by a Christian school to move to the Gold Coast. So I moved uh, here in, in 2007, which is 14 years ago now. And when I moved here, I was working at that school. And another church had started, uh, had just been planted actually, uh, from uh, a church called Hillsong Church. And it wasn't Hillsong Church, but it was one of their pastors that come and planted a church. And so I, I'd known them from Sydney. So I jumped, uh, jumped in, I just started. And within a year, I'd actually started to work in that church uh, as an executive pastor. And ran the youth ministry and it was my first time being in full-time ministry uh, i felt like my whole life i was always committed to ministry but first time that those two things collided uh, and then um five years into that um a whole bunch of things happened and, and the bigger picture was that hillsong church actually took over that church to become hillsong church and in that process i kind of decided that my time in, uh, in that church was finished as well i was going to take a break i was pretty pretty burnt out to be really honest and that might help some of the church planners sometimes mm. I think that we think it's always this perfect journey mm. but for me personally it was actually quite a challenging journey uh, one of which i probably had come to the point of thinking that i would never do ministry again because i was so i was just tired you know i'm worn out from people worn out from from fast growth and pace and and so we took uh, two years off from uh from working at a church 
I actually went back to teaching at the same school that I was at previously, which was nice. Uh, and in that meantime, I really was seeking out to go, what do you want for my future? And had actually was approached by a few different um, uh, churches around Australia actually come and take them over and, as the senior pastor, which at the time I was 32 years old, I was, um, I, I, in my head, I, if you had said to me when I was in my 20s, could you see yourself one day planning a church or taking over a church? I probably would have said I was a primary candidate, maybe in my 40s to take over an existing church and do a good job of it, like just a, a decently, you know, decent job of it. Um, and that, and in that process, God, God really got a hold of me. And um, I actually was in the middle of doing some consultancy to a church in Sydney, just helping uh, their staff and helping the structures of their church. And I was down there and I really was just seeking God and saying, God, am I supposed to be back to Sydney with our family? Am I supposed to, what, what do you want from me? And in that process, I actually had a really clear vision from God of, um, planning what is now Flow Church and on the Gold Coast. And it was a really clear picture of the fact that um, it was to be based out of here on the Gold Coast. I saw a picture of my daughter who at the time she was, uh, she must have been seven or eight years old. And I saw her in her future getting married at Burley, uh, Burley Beach on the hill there. Mm. And I saw, I knew that as where God was saying, you know, don't leave, this is the place you're supposed to be. And uh, I've got three kids actually. I've got a, now one, a 15 year old girl, a 13 year old, 13 year old girl and a seven year old boy who was born just after we started the church. So it kept me pretty busy, but anyway, so I knew that this is what God had called us to, but I was 32 at the time. I didn't know anyone in their thirties that was a, a senior pastor anywhere. I had no reference point. How do you plan the church? I always just be part of the church. So we went exploring um, uh, and looking at, I guess, some of the the best practices around the world of like, how do you plan a church? Because a lot of people, um, you know, I guess have done it before. So therefore there must be a methodology or there must be an approach that works. And after looking at all these different uh, streams of church planning schools and thoughts and, and ways of doing things, um, we decided that we would um, venture down a road called ARC. And ARC uh, is the Association of Related Churches based in the US. And um, through a series of some relationships that I had had in my world, um, someone connected me actually to Chris Hodges, who was one of the two churches that started ARC. And I ended up in America with my wife, Ellen, at the time was four months pregnant. We ended up with Pastor Chris for a week in Alabama. And just everything... Uh, of what he was saying made so much sense. And I was like, I could see this working in Australia. It was quite different to what I had always known. Uh, and the way that they were running church, the way that they were particularly running church midweek and not on a Sunday and not so focused just on a Sunday. So we knew it was um, it was for us. And so we said, okay, we're going to run run the plays and see how it goes in Australia. So we uh, at the time, like I said, we had three little kids. I was 32. I was thinking, okay, no one's supposed to be a pastor in their 30s. I hope this goes okay. And if it doesn't, I guess I can go back to teaching. Worst case scenario. So we started, um, I remember we spent, I think it was $70 on Facebook and we had over 70,000 impressions. Well, this video we had made about planting a church. And so I thought we're going to go, well, if 70,000 people have viewed this, therefore, what does that translate into a church? And so the first Sunday we did anything, we said, we're going to have a small gathering if anyone wants to come along. And we had a grand total of 20 people. So it was a uh, reality check of how hard church planning was going to be. So we started out, we went through the processes of um, gatherings, meeting leaders, talking to people. At the time, I was still a full-time school teacher for the first year, but we're at the community centre, which was a council-owned facility. It was a great space. We could only have it once, uh, three out of four weekends, which made it challenging uh, because once a month they had the seat community that had 15 people coming along to a 700-seat building, and we got to use it the rest of the time. So we, we started that process. We launched the church. And in the first six months, to be honest, it, it wasn't like the most spectacular of stories. 
Uh, we're in a, we moved to a little primary school because of the consistency. And I would say this to any church planner, the key to starting a church is finding a venue you can have every week mm. at the same time. So I would much rather get a venue that's not as good, but I can be consistent week to week than get a great venue that's inconsistent. So I hope that helps someone. But that's what mm. I would say. It's definitely the key. And we've seen that now in a few different things we've done. So, mm. uh, And then from there, um, six months of that journey, um, we had actually a church in the Gold Coast approach us that had a venue that they were moving out of that already had a council DA on it and all the approvals needed for a church, which is a, quite a complex process. Mm-hmm. And they asked us, would you like to take this building over? And we looked at all the proposal. And at the time, our giving was about $5,000 a month in total. And this building was 15000 a month. Mm-hmm. So that meant basically if we were to move in there, uh, it was three times more our expenses and also meant zero room for any staff members, any any kind of things for the kids. But I would talk about mm. like this is going to be like a massive fake step. Mm. And the crazy thing is I felt God said, this is what I want you to do. And so in that process, we had to also raise a quarter of a million dollars to do a fit out on this venue that had been stripped because it was an old church. And we, we, we took those steps of faith. We actually sold our house. And they're some of the faith steps that a lot of people don't hear about in church planning. We sold our house and um, uh, put that money into this building. And we, we really felt like, hey, God, have called it, God has called us to do this, then we need to make sure that we um, we live by faith and we actually take that step and say, we're gonna, God, we can either fast forward this journey and we're going to find out whether we're ever supposed to do this or not. And you'll make it very clear. And either things will go great or things won't go great. And either way, at least we know we're doing uh, what we needed to do. So we did. We, we stepped out. We did raise that quarter of a million dollars as well. Um, and at that time, we were having one 10 a.m. service in uh, a place called Morongari, which is about 5 k's from where the new building was in Barstig Lakes. And we had a lot of people saying to us, because we had a lot of young adults that were very keen to come to the church, saying, if you had a night service, we would come because we have sport or we have work or we have all those things. And, you know, you know a lot of people with ministry would know that you hear a lot of people say that they would love to do something, but when you actually start to do something, they don't actually turn up. So you can't base your decisions on people's ideas, but, you know, more facts. And so... We thought, let's just trial a few things. So we started a, a Sunday morning service and a Sunday night service. And uh, within two weeks, we had to start a second uh, Sunday morning service on top of the other two services. And in the space of a month, we went from 150 people to over 1,000 people in wow. one month. That's rapid growth. I mean, that was probably the most crazy month of my life. It was November 2013. Mm. And what started off feeling like it was just going to be this slow grind went to this acceleration and just like right time, right place, right. I don't know. I don't know if people thought maybe these, these young guys are like they actually know what they're doing. They've got a building now. Uh, I think we did tap into the fact that we, people that were saying they would come to a night service really did come to a night service and they were different people from the morning because they were, you know, the Gold Coast is very much a lifestyle city. So mm-hmm. in the sport, into gym, into going to the beach all day, they came at nighttime. So, Things accelerated from that point very quickly. Uh, we had to add staff. We could now pay the bills, which is amazing. And I, honestly, I would say this. I do believe that God responded to our faith step in selling the things in our life that were needed to be the facilitator of this happening. And God does respond to faith. God sees faith. And it, was, it wasn't like we went, hey, let's just weigh ourselves into this. We went all in and we said, God, we need you to back us. Mm. And he did. And so, you know, over the next um, bunch of years, it grew to have... Uh, four to five services every Sunday. It fits about 500 in that old building. And then we got to a point where we maxed out about 2,000 on a Sunday and we knew that uh, we needed to do something in order to, um, you know, either stay the same or accelerate into what God had next for us. We were there for a good um, five years and then 
just on two years ago, uh, we took a, a, another really big phase step. We spent six months, uh, almost a year actually, in moving into a bigger facility. Um, it was looking like when we first moved in, again, like the other building looked impossible. Um, it looked like it was never going to happen. It was actually, uh, it's really actually worth telling the story. We'll encourage people. Uh, it's a, actually, it was a trampoline factory called Bounce. Mm. And Bounce um, is an internationally well-known place. People come to jump on trampolines and they open up here on the Gold Coast. And the same month, another company opened up called Air Factory, a suburb away from Bounce. And it got to a point where both of those companies realized they were both going to go under if they didn't amalgamate with each other. And so Bounce brought out Air Factory and they decided that the other building was a better fit because they had an outdoor area that could do the Ninja Warrior stuff in. Uh-huh. So they had this building sitting here vacant, over 3,000 square meters of unused, new, it was only, only 12 months old. And so we looked at this, we knew that the fit out would be in the millions of dollars to do it. And the lease of this particular venue of which we were able to negotiate a, a lease to buy option was three quarters of a million dollars a year. Mm. And so we had been growing, but not at that level, not we really needed you know, the money. And because we were five years old as a church, we couldn't borrow um, money from the bank because mm. they, they're very unhelpful to banks. Uh, banks to churches, particularly the first uh, unproven years. So again, we, we were able to raise, um, in one Sunday, we, we had an offering and we received over a million dollars cash in that offering, uh, which was far far bigger than anything we'd ever seen before. Plus we were able to raise other money we'd saved. And so we moved into this building, the mayor of our city opened it. And same story that within uh, one month, we doubled the size of the church, the church mm-hmm. again on that step. So uh, now on the Gold Coast, you know, pre-COVID, um, you know, the church is you know probably well over five thousand people now, and uh, you know, we're seeing those kind of numbers, uh, you know, about four thousand on a Sunday before COVID. Uh, at the same time as well, um, we actually pioneered two other churches um, called Glow Church. One's in Sydney, one's in Melbourne, and that was before we moved into the building, the one in Sydney, and and they're going great there in Sydney. Same thing, can't meet at the moment, but we ended up launching in. Um, a uh, place called Eternity Theatre right in the middle of the city. That's mm. got its own miracle stories to it, but that's going great. A lot of people getting saved, lots of connect groups. And then two weeks before COVID hit, we launched in downtown Melbourne. So we've done the church planning thing three times now. I think we're getting better at every time. Yeah, We're learning lessons of things that um, are consistently the same thing over those seven years and things that have changed with, I guess, trends of society over that short space of time. But, yeah, we're pretty um, – we're pretty uh, – thought through when it comes to church planning now, how to do it, how to raise the leaders to do it, what mm. sort of finances are needed to do it, uh, what what decisions do you want to make on the front end before you ever start the church plan itself. So, yeah, that's kind of our story. It's really, honestly, it's a, it's a crazy, uh, you know, seven years ago I was a high school teacher, seven years later, uh, before COVID, traveling the world, mm. leading three churches, young family that's growing up, trying to do all those things uh, uh, effectively and well and still maintain my integrity and my character and all those things that matter. Uh, I had hair before I started the church. I don't anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, wow. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. That's our story. And hopefully it's just the start of a great story for God's uh, yeah. kingdom you know, and that we can raise leaders and, and disciple people and see lives change. So that's our story. And honestly, humbly, I'm the accidental church planner. What happened seven years ago to now, I would never have imagined it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just a picture of a, a young guy and a young girl that got married when they were 20 that had been obedient to God's voice and kept on walking that journey. And now we find ourselves in our 40s, just turned 40 actually, pastoring this church that honestly it's, it's a blessing and wow. it's a challenge all the time. Yeah, well, happy birthday for recently. And thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing, you know, your story, Joel. Like it's, it's, I love hearing both those 
honest moments of where it wasn't so clear and it was difficult and, you know, even that, you know, moment of burnout that you had after one ministry season and all of that. But, you know, the unexpected nature of how that story developed and grew is really inspiring as well. Right at the beginning, we're just talking about your schedule and you sort of talked about the that balance between the consistency amongst the inconsistency or the predictability amongst the unpredictability. And any church plant, anyone who's going to plant a church is going to face their own unique unpredictabilities, right? Things happen that you can't predict. But having kind of been through that journey a few times now, what would be some of the predictable pieces that you would want to recommend for somebody who's going on a church planting journey? What are some of the key pieces you think are important from the start? That's a great question. Look, number one is that your past actually does tell you a lot about your future. So if if you have a desire to church plant, really what it is, that's just a bigger picture of a connect group or a ministry expanded out. So if you can look back in your past and say, hey, I've got a great track record that whenever I had a connect group or a small group or whatever you want to call it, that when I led that group, it grew or I was a good leader in that, it, it kind of the people kept coming back to it. It's probably a good starting point to know that that's a good step, stepping stone. If you then went from there to lead a ministry of some kind in a church and that grew and that was healthy, it's another sign towards the fact that if you were to lead a church now, that probably that would be the same pattern of your leadership in a bigger picture. But if you can look back on something and go, I decimated that connect group, I hurt that small group, I couldn't lead a ministry, I haven't been able to um, come under authority because I I just want to do things my own way. If you were to list off some of those things, you'll probably find you're probably not a great candidate to be a church planner because church planning is usually a predictable outcome based off your past track record. It's just now on a bigger scale. And either you're going to be exposed in the best sense of the word because the great stuff that was on the inside of you that you can keep growing in, or the opposite that's going to happen is that the other stuff is now more legally binding because it's now governance attached to it. There's a directors attached to this. It's not just a little ministry on the side. This is like, this is a serious thing. So I'd say number one, look at your past and make sure that there is a track record. Number two, when it comes to working out where you're going to start, it's more important that um, when it comes to your launching process that you know on day one where you are going to start. Your venue is crucial for church planning. And I think I've seen a lot of people that, um, you know, stuff happens where you, you know, things do change. But the more that you can be like so crystal clear, we are going to meet here. It's going to be at this time, every Sunday, as of this date. The more you can be clear on that, the more people respond because people are creatures of habit. Mm. So not only you know, I, you know, over the years I say like you know, you can have multiple church services in a church. Not only will people come to the same service, they'll usually sit in the exact same seat every week. Mm. True, because they're predictable. They're creatures of habit. Same with church planning. You want to be able to go. We're going to meet here. We're going to be predictable. We're going to be committed to you, and people respond with that. Um, you know, we've learned over the years, when we were in Sydney, we had 125 rejections of venues <laughs> before we got our venue. Mm. 125. Man, it was like hard, like it was like so hard to deal with. You know, you know 10, 10 deep into it, you think, okay, there's lots of other options. But 100 <laughs> deep, we were like, you know, really having a pressing to God. Mm. But once we were able to land that venue and say, hey, guys, we are starting at the Eternity Theatre every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., we will be here. It got momentum because people are like, I can respond to that. But in the, so, so I'd say, number one, make sure you know you've got a track record. Number two, make sure that you, you have got a venue lined up ready that you can be clear on. And number three, um, people don't change a whole lot. So even if I was talking to someone in the 1950s, to someone talking to someone in 2050, 
that there's some key things that you got to remember. People are looking to be known and needed. Mm. Okay, so everyone wants to feel that that value of like you know my name. Awesome, and like we've got some a part for you to play here. You can keep those three consistencies in place. You'll find that it's a great starting point for church planning. Mm. Uh, they're very important. So it's 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 great when you first start out because everyone everyone's needed. Mm. Like I need you to help pack up chairs. I need you to uh, say hello to people. I need you to say hello to people and do the kids ministry. I need you to play drums and make coffee. Like you know, it's people people respond to that need. Mm. And then, but as long as we have the systems and process around that to make sure people are known as well, which I think is the connect groups or you know good mechanisms to know people's names and know they're valued. Those three things will keep people coming back when you start a church. Yeah, oh, that's very good. Um, our our uh, whole podcast is kind of built around the uh, the tension and having the sort of broad uh, range of perspectives in terms of you know, micro churches and small churches all the way to, to large church and multi-site. I'm, I'm more of a, a, a big church launch large kind of guy. Will's leading a, a, a small um, micro multiplying church. Um, it would be just really helpful for you if you could just unpack some of the, um, the arc thinking in terms of launching large and why you chose to do that and you, what do you think are the, um, the benefits of going down that sort of road and model? Okay. Yeah, look, historically speaking, um, the Barna studies would tell us that any church that plants on day one or launches on day one, uh, usually by week two, you have 50% of that as your starting point. The reason that is, is because uh, when you start something, people, all the well-wishers come along, aunties and uncles turn up that would never come back again. You know, all those people that would maybe in your world would want to support you but couldn't support you week to week. That's what happens on week one. The next step, I think, is understanding the different barriers of growth that happen in a church. So between 0 to 50 is like it's organic stage. 50 to 120 is usually the slowest stage of church um, growth. 120 to 200 uh, is usually like it's a bit quicker. Once you hit 200, growing to 400 usually can happen in six months. And then beyond that, depending on the, the vision and the heart behind what you want to build. But a lot of churches get stuck at under 120 people. And there's a reason for that. I think if you were to go to any environment where there's 100, 120 people, I'll tell you, say we said, okay, next week 100 people are going to be at this church. By the time you take the 10 people that are on the stage, so they're the worship team, you take the five or six kids leaders out of the room as well because they had to go and run the kids. You take some of the people serving. You might end up with about 70 people actually in a service and it's un- it can feel a little bit uncomfortable in the wrong environment if you haven't got the right settings. Mm. And if you stay there for too long, you will you won't go past that. Now I understand that there's some ways to think that people like that style of church. Not a bad thing, right? But if you want to grow a large church or with that kind of thinking, the sooner you can break through 120 or 200, the sooner you will find that momentum will kick off. And it's even true in our story. You know, once we got past that 150 mark, and then we we grew into that next level. So go 150 to 1,000. It's probably fast forward that a little bit quicker than what the normal process would be. But that was what happened to us. But I could see that because at 150, we're probably getting about 110 people each week at church. And it, it was, felt slow and it felt like when someone would come to visit, they, they couldn't sense any momentum or sense any vision. They just saw a group of people hanging out together. But when you start to put yourself in larger environments, there's a sense of momentum. So there's some things we did when we launched that church. We ended up on Sunday, first Sunday with 330 people. And then we started the next week with 180 and then it went to 170 and then went to 150. And I thought, I don't know, I don't know how long we've got to go before this thing's finished. But we sort of stuck at that 150 mark as our consistency level. But there's some things we did in that first Sunday that said, hey, we want you to know, we believe we're called to be a big church. So we hired in, and this is at the point where we, like, you know, I was on staff, no one was on staff, we didn't have much money. 
we're hiding LED screens. Back then, so eight years ago, LED screens were very rare in a church. But for us, it was like we wanted to send that signal that when you come here, we are believing to be a large church one day. Um, our worship team members that played that day, um, when people turned up, I want to have a great sound because when other musicians turn up to see this church, I want to go, oh, I can imagine myself being part of this large church one day. And so and for me, like it's always about starting with the vision God puts in your heart, right? So if God had called me to build something smaller, we wouldn't have done that. Mm. But because God had called us, I do, do believe the call to build a large church, an influential church in a city, we were called to think that, that way. And so by la- launching large, it meant that we actually fast-forwarded two different seasons of church growth mm. in one day. Mm. So week two, we had 150, which meant we've now gone past that 120 mark, which meant that we, we could start building towards that church growth mechanism. And it, it's pretty proven studies you can look at around how people op- operate. You know, so if I've got 30 people and I decide to, every person brought one person next Sunday, well, we've got 60 people. It's, it's, it's still slower momentum. But you take 200 people that invites one person each next Sunday and you have 400, all of a sudden you've got um, a revival. You know, in people's minds, oh, we haven't got enough chairs here. We haven't got, and that's just the simplicity of human nature. So yeah, that's our thinking. And we've done that now in all three cities. We've done it in Sydney and Melbourne. We've seen the similar results every time that we've done it. We've actually, Every time we've had over 300 in a launch Sunday in each of those cities and have ended up with about 180 to 200 the next Sunday. Mm. So, mm. Yeah, pretty similar to what Barnes is. Yeah, wow. Thanks, Joel. Um, when you are growing rapidly, as you've experienced, and maybe for other people it might not be quite the same story, but for people that do end up in that kind of rapid growth moment, how do you continue to develop your key leaders and build culture and take care of the things that require a certain level of kind of that careful time and attention while allowing that growth to continue. Anything you've learned about that kind of juggle? Look, I think number one is that only you can be the culture. So so as a leader, you carry the culture that your church will be one day. So you've got to make a choice very quickly to work out what are the good things that God's put in you and what are the bad things and get rid of those bad, mm. bad things. You know, like what are the things that about you that you don't like about yourself and let those go and make sure you quickly develop yourself into a leader that the culture, if they were to be you, if, they were, if you were to like, you know, the way I speak to people, am I generous? Am I caring? Am I creative? All those things. The, the way that God's made you, the quicker I can articulate those things as to who God's made me to be, then I can reflect that because that's what a church planet does. They're taking a vision from God about what God's made them uniquely to be and bringing that to planet Earth because if not, why plant a church where you can just go be part of another church that's got that vision already? So you're taking something unique from God and you're putting it here on earth so that it can be used. The second thing you need to do is make sure that you um, you have to make a choice early as to the kind of church you're going to be. Are you the kind of church that's going to import, as in like get other people that have been in staff members in other churches and other leaders and bring them into your mix and help you facilitate something for God? Particularly when it's fast growing, it's easy to do. Or are you going to play the long game, which is to take slower steps in developing people and taking more risks on people that maybe don't feel ready as much as someone who might have been proven in a different season in, in their past uh, in another church somewhere. So for us personally, we went with option two and we said we're going to build, um, we're going to take a time, build structures around, build connect group leaders. And if we see people that are doing well in that structure, we'll take those connect group leaders and we'll develop them into more ministry leaders and then the flow on continues. And so for us, we're now, um, you know, it's eight years on. I think we've got almost 40 full-time staff these days. And of those, only one of those people outside of myself have ever worked in another church in their life. Yeah, wow. So we've, we've, we've built people from the ground up. Every person that you've ever, you know, if you've ever seen any of our worship staff or our conferences, they've all come from uh, in our church. And 50% of those were saved in our church. Mm. 
So it's been organic growth. It's been organic leadership development. And here's a tip for anyone listening. I think culture is more about what you're not than what you are. Mm. And that's how you get to who you are. So for me, every time something would happen that I was like, oh, when you said that thing today, like, can we not do that? Or, hey, the way that you spoke in that meeting, oh, that's not us. Hey, the way that we um, sowed that finances, that was good. Keep doing that. Like, all the way that we... And eventually, it's about a three-year process, I think. What I would say is it takes three years to um, identify a culture, five years to um, maintain it, and seven years to replicate it. Mm. So so you you really you bank, bunk it down on a cape. This is who we are, and now we can take that and put it somewhere else. That's kind of how we've seen that transition happen. But the culture is crucial to a church growing and developing. But the key in all that is to make that decision in a fast-growing environment is to stay true to who God's called you to be. Mm. What is that culture? And every time someone does anything outside of that culture, like I was like, please don't do that again. You know, I remember once, um, this is very practical, just a few years ago, one of our, our, our youth pastors got up and, and made a joke uh, that was pr- pretty inappropriate. And he made this joke in the service. And we had about 15 people from that particular country in our mm. church that no longer come to our church. And, and with one comment on stage, it eradicated that entire culture from our church. And I had to go, I said, what are you thinking? Like, that's not who we are as a church. We embrace all the cultures. We embrace every people group. We we, we don't speak in a way that would minimize someone or relegate someone. Oh, I love it. I, I certainly experienced that. You know, I, I came to an, an ARC event that was launching at your church. And uh, my wife and I came and you didn't know us. We were very random to, to you, but I, just the way that you treated us. And we were really young. Uh, there was a whole bunch of other, you know, leaders of denominations and stuff in the room. It was only a small room, but um, just felt that value and the generosity and that uh, attention to detail. Um, and every time I've been to Glow since then, you feel that and you sense that. It's, it's who you are. And I love that. I love that thought about, you know, it's culture is, is about identifying who, who you're not. And I think that is um, that's a, good, a good takeaway for me. We are uh, quickly running out of time. But I just want to finish with uh, a few rapid-fire questions, if that's okay with you. All right. Number one, what do you think is the biggest danger to the future of the church in Australia? Becoming too event-focused. What is giving you hope right now about the future of the church in Australia? Seeing churches having, without any other options, to have connect groups and small groups meeting in homes. Mm, That's good. Uh, what's influencing you right now in terms of books or podcasts or people? I've been, I've been really enjoying listening to the Kerry Newhoff podcast lately. Uh, it's a really great podcast in terms of leadership development and it's, it's a broad spectrum from you know uh, corporate leaders to uh, church leaders. And um, I'm reading another book at the moment by Chris Valentin and Bill Johnson called The Rural. I can't remember what it's called, but it's good. It's a good book. Cool. I'm trying to get a bit nice. of uh, leadership going on, but also reading some material I would not normally read. Yeah, it's good. Do you have, Joel, like the one book that if you had infinite copies of it and, you know, it, it, you could only give people one book, it would be the one that you would just hand out to every uh, emerging leader? I'll give them this one. Great oh, choice. Especially yeah. Healthy spiritual Spirituality by Peter Scazzaria. It's a really amazing book to develop well thought to leaders. Uh, that's one that's definitely helped me. Uh, and if there's another one, uh, look, there's one book that, we probably built a lot of our leadership principles around to help people. It's by Bill Hybels. <laughs> I forgot the name of it. <laughs> Sorry, it's been a long time since I've had to actually teach that class. Um, <laughs> but we give it to every leader in the church. Um, 
what's it called? Anyway. Courageous leadership? Yes, courageous leadership. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. There you go. Honestly, it's like if you just want to like, if you're a young leader and you want some sort of like a, a, a foundational thinking around how to lead people yeah, in a spiritual sense, Courageous Leadership is the book for you to read. Mm, very good. Um, okay, uh, just to, to finish, uh, thinking about the people listening to this podcast, they're, they're uh, church planters or church leaders, thinking about the future of the church. Uh, what would be just the, the few sentences that you would want to leave with them today? The church is the hope of the world. Uh, there's, there's a young generation that are waiting for uh, faith-filled pioneers to lead the way, do things differently. Uh, and if somebody can talk you out of church planning, you shouldn't church plan. <laughs> nice. Love it. Love Joel, it. thank you so much for your time, sharing your story with us and some of your learnings along the way. Uh, you're doing great things and we appreciate, yeah, your your willingness to invest into our listeners and us by giving us some time, Savo. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Very good. Very good. Where can people connect with you and follow uh, the, the story and journey of GLOW? Um, personally, uh, probably Instagram or I don't look at Facebook anymore. So Instagram is my account's just my name, Joel Cave. Uh, but if you want to really check out more about our church, go to glowchurch.com. You can see uh, where we are, what we're doing. We've got a lot of resources on there as well. Uh, our podcast also has uh, a lot of different leadership stuff on there that would help people that's beyond just our Sunday messages. And our YouTube channel has got stuff going back for years, messages, uh, worship. Um, it's, we're putting a lot more time and effort in our YouTube channel lately. So if you get a chance you'll probably get a greater feel for what our church is like and uh, hope it encourages and inspires people. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, guys. Hey, this podcast is sponsored by Baptist Financial Services. To find out more, visit bfs.org.au. We hope you are enjoying the Forming Church podcast. As fun as it is to listen to our voices, they are not the only ones that matter. Add your voice to the conversation by joining the Forming Church Facebook group or connecting with us on Instagram at Forming Church. What do the ideas in this episode's interview look like in diverse contexts? That's what Jamie, Ken, and Pip are going to explore right now. For this episode's roundtable, I have with me Pip and Ken. Pip has worked as a youth pastor in Sydney and served in Cambodia with Global Interaction, where she still works now as a partnership consultant. Welcome, Pip. Thanks, Jamie. We also have Ken, who has planted and led churches in Kenya, America, and is now in Sydney working with our Gen 1K mission team as a multiplication facilitator. Welcome, Ken. Good to be here, Jamie. It's great to have you guys here. In this interview, we heard Benj and Will chat with Joel about uh, launching large and leading big churches. And the point of these roundtable conversations is to practice learning from people with diverse and at times divergent opinions. So you might have a different perspective to Joel, Will, Benj, Ken, people, myself, but how can we create healthy debate and move beyond the echo chamber of our particular tribe? Ken, Pip, what struck you? Yeah, I think um, just the concept of needing to develop leaders and developing from within the church uh, to grow the church was something that, that stood out to me. Excellent. Ken, how about you? Uh, just the journey of faith that uh, uh, Joel had. I mean, oh, pretty amazing just to the steps of faith it took, like selling the house and all that. That, that yeah, stood out to me. As I heard uh, Joel sharing about that step of faith early on, particularly selling their house. Um, I was reminded of your journey and coming here to Australia, obviously via America and, um, and 
the enormous step of faith that that was for you and the family. Can you share a bit about that with our listeners, um, mm. paint a bit of the context and, and what it was like to trust God uh, in that very, very big decision? Because you guys gave up a lot. Yeah. Well, Jamie, it, it's it's one of those things that happens in your life that you know it's it's one of those things. I, I don't see it happening uh, significantly like that again. But for us, uh, when we came to Australia in 2014 and spent a year here, uh, we served in different churches. And um, it's the first time that I sort of experienced a different kind of church. I was coming from a church that was thriving and, and growing and planting churches. And that was sort of my normal world. So coming to a space that was different, where I was going to churches that were declining and closing, um, I just had a sort of a God moment where I was like, oh my goodness. Um, I felt like good stewardship would not be just go back home to Kenya and say, oh, I was, I was sad and I'll pray for them, but actually ask God, how would you want me to respond? How is this part of your, what the story you've written out for me? And uh, my wife and I prayed about it and uh, really felt a desire to come and be part of what God was doing here. The thing that made it hard was that the church I was leading was actually doing very well. Um, we were growing, we, we, we and, and a lot of people questioned, why would you live a, a church that is healthy and, and okay? And, and why would you go across the world to a country where you don't know people? But some of, the, some of these things are hard to explain to people because it's a journey that happens in the, in the closet with God in prayer and a sense of breaking that God does. Um, and you come to that point where you realize that um, I'm going to respond in faith. Um, and that's what sort of drove us. Um, two other things was I had part of my elders, when I shared this with my elders, they took six months to pray about this. Um, and I, I told them, you know what? Um, I've been under authority, uh, in your, under your authority for the last nine years. I've been a, the lead pastor. And this is what I feel uh, the Lord is calling me to, to respond to. You know me well enough. Um, pray about it. And if you do affirm that you feel this is something that as a church we can do, um, because I want it to be ascending, then I will, I will affirm it. And after six months of prayer, um, they came back and say, we know you, we know you're gifting, and we do affirm that this is God's call. And that started off the process of, 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 yeah, of us coming this way. That's so important, isn't it? And I've seen you uh, make many decisions over the last few years, uh, that being one of them. And the role of discerning in community is, is a really important part of the way you lead. Mm. And, and faith is discerning community, isn't it? Um, mm. We're not just uh, flying solo in this yeah. moment, but we're actually going with the backing of, of, an, of another local church and our friends on mission. And, and yeah. we see that in scripture as yeah. well, that we discern yeah. uh, the voice of God together. In community, yeah. In community. And Pip, yeah. you also made a pretty big step of faith in moving to Cambodia. Do you want to unpack what that was like for you? Yeah, well, I moved to Cambodia in 2005, which seems like a, a lifetime ago uh, now. But moving from Sydney, where I grew up, um, to initially to the capital of Cambodia, to Phnom Penh, uh, was, it felt like a big step. Uh, but it was interesting, um, thinking back on it now, a second step was to move from the capital city to a, a more regional area, to a, a city that had just tipped over the 100,000 mark, uh, right up on the Thai border, uh, where the, the the highway was still a dirt road. And uh, it was within the same country, but I think for me, making that second step 
even within Cambodia, was a significant uh, step of faith. And looking back on it now, I think that that God does guide us step by step, yeah. uh, that God puts something before us and, and we can respond to that. Uh, and then we just take the next step in the journey. Mm. Uh, but Ken, I loved hearing from your story because I, I think it's such a great picture of, of where we're at now and, and where missions is at today. Mm. That perhaps in 100 years or, or so ago, we might have thought of missions as from the West to the rest. Yeah. But now missions is very much from everywhere to everyone. Yeah. And countries like Australia, we can both receive uh, missionaries, pastors, church planners, leaders receive that blessing as well as then being in partnership together, saying, okay, God, where do you want to send us? Uh, where are those areas of the world that are still unreached, that still need to, to receive your gospel and where your kingdom needs to grow? Yeah, yeah. yeah and I think up to now, I still get a lot of people um, back home and here asking, oh, wait, you left Kenya to come to Australia? Um, and uh, some people struggle with it and, and not able to comprehend um, and, and so it's helping them understand that, you know, God is at work and uh, God uses all people uh, and even you, uh, even, even you, Jamie. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it's, it's just, Pip, it's really hard for some people mm. um, to, to sort of understand this. One, unfortunately, because of the framework that uh, missions has taken back home where mm-hmm. it's really really expensive to have a missionary back in Kenya because mm. um, the church I was leading had heaps of missionaries. Uh, and when you think about the cost, it's just crazy. Um, but coming back this way, it's not that because I think um, there's there are more structures, more policies in place that allow you to be more flexible and all that. So, yeah, pretty exciting. I can remember for me actually stepping into this role as the team leader for Gen 1K Mission was a really big step of faith. We'd planted a church. The church was six years old. I was really enjoying uh, my role and the community and, and what God was doing. And and so when um, I was approached to consider this role, uh, for me, it was like, okay, God, what are you doing in this space? And uh, I gathered, again, people from our church, the, the people on our leadership council and some other key voices together. And we went through that, that process of discernment um, so that then when we came to the decision to apply and to put my hat in the ring for the role, there, there was this sense of collectively mm. um, hearing God's voice together, which even though people weren't happy, um, they were part of that decision. And so there was this strong confirmation yeah. in, in that. And yeah. then we just entrusted the rest of the process uh, to God. Yeah. And the people around you do act as a safety net um and they keep you in check because we have we have so many blind spots when you're seeing something passionately sometimes the passion you have can blind you and it's those people around you that start to sort of see the 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 blind spots and and make you uh help you make a better decision yeah Mm. i can remember asking these people to to ask me the hard questions check my motives, um, check mm. my ego, all of those things that, as you said, are blind spots naturally. And we, we, we almost need to give people permission yeah. Uh, yeah, to, to ask those questions. Yeah. Um, just because they're not asking them doesn't mean they're not thinking them. Sometimes yeah. they need us to pause and and ask them, yeah. invite them into that space. One of the things that uh, when Joel was speaking uh, about leading a large church, um, which I've done, um, two things that he said really stu- uh, stood out for me. One was just growth. Now, we, we did not experience the same rapid growth that you talked about. So we started off um, as a revitalization, actually. Um, and in the first one year, um, we had 
so many problems. And so it's in that, towards the end of that year when I was asked to lead the church, that I was like really wondering, do I really want to do this? The church was really uh, unhealthy and very toxic. But it's amazing how within a space of two years, we're able to shift the culture. Um, and, and that happened as we started, the new staff members that started coming in, we started, they started going through an internship. Mm, and yep. so all the people, I, so I inherited about four staff members who were unfortunately very toxic. Um, and so I was like, how do I do this? And the easiest thing, uh, one of my mentors told me, uh, as you build a new staff team, bring in people who are fresh and young and willing to learn. And within two years, we had more staff members who uh, had a DNA and a passion for the kingdom than these other guys. And they just self eliminated they just sort of resigned and stepped down and now we're able to sort of build um i'm yeah. glad you clarified what self-eliminated means <laughs> yeah stepped down i was a bit worried stepped out of their um, ministry role into the wider kingdom <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i guess you would have spent some time with those those interns and, and invested oh, yeah, in them and yeah. Yeah. yeah in the first few years uh it was i mean as a senior pastor, I was like 110% invested. Every The first, I think, five, six interns, I was leading the program. I was doing the training because it was vital that I set the pace of what we wanted to do. Uh, and by the time we started, by the sixth, seventh year, I was just more of being available. Uh, but the first few um, years of internship really set the standard or the, um, the rhythm of what it meant um, to be an intern in our church. Mm. And coming back to this idea of developing leaders from within, which Pip mentioned earlier, Ken, um, you guys were a part of a movement that developed leaders as a network almost, yeah. where together you, you you partnered through these internships, these residencies, and and ha- because of the broader vision. Can yeah. you share with us a bit about what that looked like? Yeah, so Nairobi Chapel had uh, what they call the 2020 vision, which was to see 300 churches planted. Um, to see uh, 100,000 people discipled and a million people hear the gospel. Mm. And this was shared many years back. So as it, beca- it came closer to 2020, uh, each church was doing it on its own. But about maybe 10 years ago, um, uh, Pastor Oscar was like, oh, this is not working, so we need to do this together. And so our church would have maybe two interns in a year, another church maybe five or six. And Pastor also like, why don't we come together and see what happens? And so the first year the chapel churches came together as a network. We launched 150 interns. Wow. We took 150. It was insane. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of pizza. Yeah, it was was 150, but it was so good because we did it as a body, as a movement. And so the lessons would be done. So in a year, they would have about six uh, gatherings where they'd all be there. But churches like us who could not financially afford... um, more than maybe four, from that pool, we would get like six interns. And so there was a collective raising of resources. Um, there was uh, sort of a, a sending out of people. So there was an abundance of leadership. And what happened after the second cycle, which I think we did 120, we just explored in church planting because you'd get, from the 150, you get maybe 15, 20 good, solid church planters, but you get amazing kids, ministers, great worship leaders, and you'd send a whole package out, an amazing team and the churches. That's how we multiplied. I think we shifted from 86 church plants to, last year I thought, about 198 church plants. And that happened because of just that 
collaborative form of, of doing things together. Mm. And you're seeing that culture or that DNA oh, yeah. spread much further, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And owned much broader yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. There was that sense of we are one. You know, when you gather 150 people and they all know we are all interns, um, you know, there's no longer church name. It's just we are part of the chapel movement. Mm. And any, everybody was willing to go to whatever church that was sent to. Mm. That's great. If you guys were to ask Joel a follow-up question, what would you ask? I don't know if this is the impossible question, but um, certainly um, we want to see the church grow because we want to see God glorified. We want to see people have an encounter with Jesus and have their lives transformed. And when I think globally, I think about countries like Pakistan, Afghanistan, the Middle East, where Christ is not known, where God is not glorified through Jesus. And so I think we, we need to we need to hear and we need to learn and we need to ask some of these questions. Uh, and, and I wonder, in some of these harder countries where we can't um, build buildings and worship together in, in groups of thousands publicly, uh, how can we still learn together about some of these principles of discipleship and multiplication in ways they're going to bless these um, growing churches Churches and and these these uh, areas of of the world where where Christ needs to be uh, more fully known. I think I'd love. He talked about in pal- passing about selling his house and how that was a big faith move. I'd love to know how he processed that with his family, mm. with his wife and kids. What because that's a really big step. That's a big sacrifice. I'd love to just know how he processed that as a as a father, as a pastor. What impact it had on his leadership team, his church, and all that. That's great. Some really good questions there. If you were to suggest a concrete action or next step for someone in this area, what would it be? I think from the, when Joel started off, he talked about a realization of burnout um, and what that did to him. Uh, and for me, it would be like, just listen to him, watch out for, for burnout. I think it's, it's, it's one of those things that sort of sneaks in, especially for people in ministry, because we are all prone to be all in all for all people. And just like, really yeah be attentive to that what's something that they could do to help be attentive to that oh jamie that's an awesome question i think pace pace yourself yeah pace yourself yeah and and good support relationships so mentor coach uh sending church yeah good good safety nets around you yeah that's great pip how about you um Perhaps all organisations have a culture and so perhaps it's uh, one concrete action step would be to uh, clarify what is the culture and how well do we articulate that culture within our organisation. That's a really great point. Thanks, guys, and thanks for listening. Remember to join the conversation at the Forming Church Podcast Facebook group and follow us on Instagram. Well, how good. A little conversation with Joel Cave. Thank you, Joel. What was uh, what was the takeaway or the key learning out of that for you, Benj? Yes, I I, I resonate with a lot of this stuff because I'm I'm uh, that way more inclined. I I was sort of connected with some of the the art guys in the states and uh, learned a lot, uh, and we applied a lot of those principles uh, to our church plant when we planted greenhouse. Um, but I love what he talked about when he was he was talking about you know discovering your culture, creating culture is more about what you're not than what you are. Mm. And I think that's just really helpful. You know, that's that's not us. And that's not us. And working out what it, what you're not. Um, so I'm going to be thinking about that one. Yeah, that's good. And I like that that's sort of discovered over time, the chipping away of the mm. ice sculpture, that as you, in, you discover what you're not over time and remove that stuff until you have a more refined concept of who you are. 
It's great. Uh, for me, I think one of the takeaways out of, uh, of listening to Joel was when he was talking about um, consistency of launch, and it's interesting because I'm leading a church that's home-based and that's kind of much more of a neighbourhood model, so we don't have a venue. But when he was talking about the venue, he was talking about helping people to form habits, mm. so being consistently available at a certain time and a certain place which in my context is different, but it was that idea of how do we make this easy for people Mm. to get involved? How do we make uh, our community something that people can form a habit around and Mm. fit it into their life um, without having to figure it out each week with too much processing, if that makes sense. It's good stuff. Well, uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, continue the conversation on our Facebook community group. Yeah, what, can, did, uh, what did you get out of that? We yeah. want to hear what, what you thought. What was the next step in your context? Yes. And uh, you can uh, subscribe to this podcast so you can get all the, all the next ones coming up. And uh, if you would rate and review, that would go a long way to helping us facilitate this conversation for a lot of people. And uh, we just think that... Uh, this is a, um, a valuable conversation to have in the church and the Australian context and uh, beyond that as well. So thanks for being part of it and uh, we'll see you next episode.